Hi there, it's Charles from the future. Just want to jump in here with a little preamble. If you listened to our last episode, this is going to sound familiar. If you're just joining us now, I just want to make sure everybody's up to speed. So because of the way we're producing this Mandalorian block of episodes, we actually recorded this episode several weeks ago, prior to the WGA going on strike. Just want to jump on here and state a couple of things up front. First is that it's the position of Gold Squadron Gaze that we unequivocally support the WGA in their strike. Thing number two is we are not actually going to talk about the WGA strike within the main body of the podcast itself until episode seven. Episodes three and four were recorded prior to the strike actually commencing, and episodes five and six were both recorded with guests. And we didn't want to take time away from the WGA strike, nor did we want to take time away from our guests to have that discussion there. So other thing that that wasn't relevant last week but is relevant this week is that things are changing so rapidly that it's somewhat difficult to keep up with it. Anything we would have to say would be outdated by the time you heard it. Like there's a whole mess with Tony Gilroy and Andor and this whole thing that just keeps happening. So we support the WGA strike. You will be hearing Bradley and I discuss it the next time we are by ourselves, which is episode seven. Other than that, I hope you enjoy this episode on The Mandalorian season three, episode four. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I would like to thank Star Wars, just generally. I have been playing Jedi Survivor, which does actually work on my computer, uh, <laughs> and slightly grizzled, uh, slightly embittered Cal Kestis definitely is doing it for me. I'm feeling some some type of way. Also, I did find the Dr. Aphra number 31 preview pages, and just lucky in a tank top does things to my brain, so just Generally, I would like to thank Star Wars uh, in this time period <laughs> for giving me slightly disheveled twinks. I do I like appreciate that. this. I was going to say, did you edit the character model for Cameron Monaghan to be like, just have like some facial hair and like uh, a little No, more the rugged? standard, like clean shaven still has like stubble. Stubble? Like, it's okay. It's a great deal of stubble. Yeah, it's kind of like some games will tell you something is clean shaven, but they actually like, they still have scruff. Yeah, like a five o'clock shadow. He's still scruffy. Gotcha. He's still okay. scruffy regardless That's of what fair. you do. Like the general one. I didn't think it would do it for me, but it is in fact doing it for me. Yeah. So let's record this episode so that I can get back to playing Jedi Survivor, a game that for now still works on my computer. (laughs) Right. Well, I had to, I downloaded it initially and then it was like, you don't have enough room for all of the patches. And I'm like, I literally uninstalled every other game from my computer. I uninstalled all of the MMOs that I play from my computer and you're telling me that I don't have enough. Okay, let me get an entirely separate hard drive. (laughs) Oh God. To store this game on. Yeah, how big is it? It's like huge, right? it's like 128 kilobytes or something. I don't understand like why these gaming companies are like, hey, you guys all have supercomputers at home. Let's just go ahead and make this this big ass fucking file. And I'm like, well, here's here's what's so fucking funny about this, right? Everybody who's got like a middling PC or like is playing on like an okay gaming laptop, they're doing fine. Everybody that's playing on like a high end souped up 
extra sexy graphics card. Right. They're the ones who the game is unplayable for. Ah, That's okay. what's so funny about this. Yeah. Because people people who are playing on like the high-end PCs, that's who's getting the crashing. Interesting. It's I so saw that. funny that, to me. That's really funny. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Like, I feel bad and Ian needs to get this shit together. But also, like, that is really funny. That is me. hilarious. <laughs> All right. We have an episode, technically, to talk about. Or rather, we have one scene to talk about. This is a weird episode, episode right? that happens around <laughs> it that's not as important or interesting. This was a really weird episode. This is a fucking weird episode. Yeah, it was really weird. I liked it a lot more than I did the first time I watched it, but it is still a weird-ass episode. Do you want to take us into the weird-ass episode, Bradley? This week, we're talking about The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 4, titled The Foundling, where Din Djarin returns to the hidden Mandalorian covert. Charles, what is one thing about this episode you liked and one thing you did not? Oh, you know what I liked. I mean, do we you know what I like. Do, do we even need to say it? Do we need to say the thing that I like? We know. We I was know say, what without it going was. into too much detail. What did you like? I liked that one scene in the middle. <laughs> I liked that a lot. One thing that I disliked about this episode, it's hard to say because most of the episode I was kind of middling on. Like I couldn't say there was anything particular that I looked at and I was like, I just straight up don't like this. Like this is a weird choice. So I don't like this. The episode is structured fine. Uh, it's got that weird sort of digression in the middle of it that takes away from everything else. But the digression is so good and so sorely needed that I can't even fault it for that and then the rest of the episode is just hey let's do a thing i wish we did got just a smidge more storytelling about how the covert actually lives because yeah. it seems like we don't see any living quarter we see them out in the training in the lake which we'll get to that and we see the armorers forge but we don't have any idea how the covert actually lives i do wish we could have seen like maybe sleeping quarters or a dining right. hall or something or tents to or how something. they actually yeah. do this like they introduced the idea that like when you get food you have to go away and take off your helmet in order to eat and i'm like there's at least like 50 of you yeah how does that work game. here how does that work here <laughs> yeah no do you all have separate rooms that you go eat in? Like, <laughs> yeah. very confused about this fact. So I would have just liked a little more about that. Uh, Bradley, what about you? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. The one thing I liked and the one thing I did not like are hand in hand. I okay. Like, I liked the scene and I did not like how the scene was too short. I felt like it needed <laughs> more. So there you go. I, actually, you know what's funny is? I think that the scene is good and I think it, it tells the story it needs to tell. However, you know what would have been more more interesting for this episode at least would it be a have more than one to intercut yes and i think that would have made it a little bit stronger and would have given a little bit more backstory for grogu it would have just been like hey here's the backstory episode and then we could cut back and forth between what's going on in the present what's going on in his flashbacks just to kind of pad out the episode a little bit because this is a very action heavy episode i mean there is not a ton of content i mean it's like here's a few things like they give you little sprinkles of mando culture they're like oh this is how we eat food <laughs> but other than that it's like i don't understand what yeah I, it was it was it could have used a little more padding do you remember the the asajj ventress episode of clone wars where they do like gradual flashbacks and it's like two or three different events like over the course of her life they should have done that with grogu in this episode i think and, so i think so that i would have liked to see him getting rescued from the temple and then sort yeah. of how he ends up with the the weak way 
I think it's Weequay Pirates that he's he's being held by at the start of the season. I would have yeah. liked a little more because I also do feel like that moment is very much not about Grogu specifically. It's just sort right. of explaining how Grogu got out of the temple. And we don't really know like what happened after that. How do we get to the point that we're we're presently at? So I I agree. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more and maybe maybe they'll explore it in future seasons. This was a very popular choice to do this for this this way. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only people I've seen mad about it are people that are stupid, who have stupid ideas like, oh, why wasn't it, it Yoda that did this? Did you watch Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, did I love that. The same movie. No one, no one clearly has watched the movies because I've seen people who are like, why didn't Kenobi save him? I'm like, are you kidding me? Obi-Wan was a little, a little bit busy. busy. <laughs> He's a little busy at the moment. We established this in Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi's a little bit busy. The only person who I think I would have liked to have saved him more is Barriss Afi. Uh, but I, I do yeah, think, I think if so. you're not going to do that choice, this is one of the better uh, alternative choices that they could have made was this particular story choice. And is it is it rely entirely on meta knowledge? Yes. Do I care? Fucking no. We begin at the covert with the Mandalorians training in combat. Din takes Grogu to a training area where Grogu is set to fight Ragnar in a dark game. During the training game, Grogu is hit twice before he loses. Grogu uses the force to flip over Ragnar and hits him with three darts, winning the game. After his loss, Ragnar is suddenly taken by a flying creature. The Mandalorians follow the creature with their jetpacks, but soon run out of fuel. Bo-Katan continues the chase in her ship. Title card, chapter 20, The Foundling. My literal first note, and I mean the first note I wrote <laughs> down, was, oh look, the flamethrowers are useless in sparring. <laughs> <laughs> this this whole scene was, I'm, I'm going to say it, it was a little cheesy. It was a little cheesy. The little combat games or whatever they were all doing. And it was like, you saw the flamethrower and you were kind of like, what's the point of this? Like, why what's are we point? wasting the fuel of the flamethrower? Oh, just a train? They're wasting but like, fuel. They're yeah, wasting it, ammo. <laughs> yeah, they're it wasting yeah, all of Shooting this. stuff. Like, I'm like, what's going on here? One, like, what are they shooting at? Because there's not targets and like right. there's one mandalorian who's like teaching an apprentice how to shoot and like that makes sense sure. uh, but then there's other mandalorians that are fully grown adults standing there just shooting out, out into the <laughs> water and i'm like and you stuff. don't have yeah, targets water, yeah. you don't have targets you don't have rocks you don't have anything out there to shoot you're just shooting into the water like what are you doing exactly right. i'm I'm just mildly confused. It does kind of make sense. We'll get to who directed this episode, and this particular director does campy stuff really well. He just, his episodes are just fun to watch. But if you think about them for 30 seconds, you're like, this does not make any <laughs> The logic sense. doesn't logic. You're like, wait a minute. The logic isn't logicking here. Yeah. And like they're training with a vibra knife, which makes sense. They're training sure. with hand to hand, which makes sense. But then some of them is like, why are you shooting in the water? Why are you blasting each other with a flamethrower? That does nothing. I, I'm confused. The flamethrower is useless, is yeah. the point. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a central theme to this show. And uh, it's a central theme Wars of this general. season, for sure. <laughs> And we'll get there when we get to the bloodbath that is the finale. Yes. Uh, because we have scheduled a guest specifically, so there will be violence on this show. <laughs> uh, when we get to the finale and just how useless the flamethrower is all of the time, everything. I don't think there's a single time this this entire season that the flamethrower does something useful. So I personally am feeling very vindicated. I'm personally feeling correct about everything, as usual. The judge in the opening scene 
Uh, that judge is being played by Jason Chu. Jason Chu is a stunt performer. Uh, stunt performer on War for the Planet of the Apes, Captain America Civil War, Blade Runner 2049, and most importantly, he is a stunt performer on The Mandalorian, and he is the stunt double for Moff Gideon. Oh, cool. He's in season two and season three. Season three is where he's the stunt double for Moff Gideon. So when you see all the badass stuff Moff Gideon does in the ba- two episodes, that's the judge under the helmet. When they do the challenge, Den is like, he challenges... Uh, and the judge is like, okay, what weapon does your literal fucking toddler want to use? And Den is like, oh, let the guy that challenged decide. And I'm like, what if he picks like knives? Yeah, Grimm's not going to be very like, good in like actual training combat? blasters. Yeah. Like, it's just luck of the draw that fucking Ragnar picks dart. I'm like, Den, you were so fucking bad at this. Yeah, what if Ragnar had been like, oh yeah, we're going to use staffs to like hit each other with or something? What if he had said flamethrower? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, they use? probably wouldn't have given children a flamethrower because they're using training darts. So we can see very clearly that like kids use kid versions of weapons that they don't right. hand a kid a loaded blaster and is like, go train with this, go shoot your face off. Right. Here's a paintball gun instead. Yeah, yeah. here's a paintball gun instead, which, you know, <laughs> makes sense. Speaking of the kids though, so. Last time I said that there are two major sort of clarifications to the Children of the Watch. Right. The first clarification was that kind of the idea of you can leave anytime you want, which I'm iffy on, as I said. This is the other major sort of clarification is you don't actually take the helmet until you're literally old enough to speak the creed. And then you also have additional levels, like you don't go from foundling to speak the creed. Helmet goes on and never comes off again, but like then you become like an apprentice. So the implication is sort of like things are a little bit looser until you become an adult. I am not sure how I feel about this little bit of trying to walk back the helmet thing. Because we don't actually visually see any kids without the helmets on anywhere. Right. The only time we've ever seen it was in the episode with the first episode where Ragnar is getting his helmet. That's the only time we've ever yes. seen anyone without one. So, And he's like 12 or 13. Yeah. I think and there looks he's like there's 13-ish. younger ones than him in There's in younger this ones than him, but they're wearing the helmet. Right. So the question is like, maybe they've got like training helmets. Maybe mm. they've got helmets yeah. on that like you're supposed to wear them during the day to practice. Like practice, like <laughs> yeah, get practice used wearing, to wearing a helmet. A helmet. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense actually. Well, because you have to get used to like how to drink in a helmet, how right. to see it, how to have your vision limited okay. in a helmet. I like I like that theory that they have training helmets. It's an interesting theory. Nowhere yeah. is this clarified. No, it, <laughs> we're it making feels, this shit up. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like they're trying to walk back the we indoctrinate children thing, which okay, like we've talked about. We talked about in episode one, like the whole like that they've walked it back to it now being sort of a baptism confirmation kind of thing right and like uh, i feel like we said everything we needed to say about that in the first episode to be honest yeah that's true i I mean they kind of uh, like show it more here but like yeah we don't really i don't think we need to go too much into it we don't need to rehash that again except that it will become important at the very end of the season (laughs) right which I'm not comfortable generally with the idea of anyone under legal adulthood being asked to take a vow like that. Like, I really don't think they should be doing it until they hit legal adulthood. But okay, I can see where you're kind of walking this back a little bit to try to make us more sympathetic to the children of the watch. Right. Which, okay, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I I do like the the line one does not speak unless one knows. I feel like maybe certain people should be listening. 
to that one <laughs> more. I, I feel like Star Wars discussion online would be a much happier place if one did not speak unless one knew. One would certainly get dunked on on TikTok less throwing that out there you would get less quote tweets if you did not speak unless you knew i'm just saying uh, although that does raise the question of what exactly is in the creed because i thought the creed we've had that question with previous seasons yeah and i was like when they did the i i swear to wear the helmet and walk the way of the mandalore and i'm like is that the creed and no apparently there's more creed right and i'm like what what is in this creed exactly i want to know yeah it seems like so far we've only gotten like the preamble of the creed like we haven't even gotten into like actual like everything like if if the creed is like the ten commandments or whatever or something like we've only gotten the first two like don't yeah. remove your helmet and then you can't join unless you can speak well like, it's, so, it's an it. interesting point of comparison because it it seems like the creed and i don't want to speak too much because i don't know mm. certainly certainly uh people They're who learning. have studied these works in more depth <laughs> probably could give a much more uh informed take than me but the creed does seem a bit like some of the like early old testament books like leviticus or deuteronomy that are basically like lists of rules right but also like there's stuff in there about like well the ten commandments is an exodus i'm pretty sure but like don't kill your neighbor like yeah. there's also stuff like that right so like a code of Hammurabi kind of mixed with a book of Leviticus kind of thing and I'm like I really want to know what all these rules are I won't know because clearly John is making them up as he goes along right it's situational rules that'll like come up as needed right so they're gonna be right. like oh yeah Mandalorians are not allowed to fly on the back of a mythosaur because that's only for the person who holds the dark saber yeah like, they're gonna it, make up it rules says so in the creed <laughs> yeah right somewhere exactly. <laughs> like it's interesting to me to like and it's also i really want to see an exploration i didn't get it this season and i really want to but it's kind of in the background there about different mandalorian groups valuing different things within the creed right so like the children of the watch are we are going to follow the creed exactly to the letter absolutely no deviations whatsoever and bo -Katan's faction of mandalorians they clearly don't care about following the exact rules but they place way more stock into something like the dark saber right. they place way more stock into mythology so i'd be interested to see the interplay of different groups of mandalorians interpreting the creed differently or having a different relationship with the creed we're not really seeing that in the show because it's very shallow writing which is not bad right it, it just is what it is uh, i would be interesting to see this explored in more depth because as a former deeply religious person who was in several different Christian denominations throughout his life that all had different like relationships with their scripture I would be very interested to see how these different groups try to reconcile it yeah I think it also it would benefit the show to introduce a new faction or a new group to if you're going to walk back this whole whatever cult thing then you need to introduce a more extreme or more like culty like group and then have them be at odds with this group that, that way would be can, an interesting you know. angle to go with yeah yeah the the you're not reading high republic phase two and that's deliberate choice on our part uh but in high republic phase two the main villains i'm not going to spoil too much of this for you the main villains are a group called the path of the open hand who legitimately just are a cult like they they are a cult uh 
hands down, no question, they are a cult. And as the story progresses, they progress exactly like a cult would progress. Uh, and things get really dark really fast. High Republic Phase 2 is very good. But I think they're an interesting point of comparison, too, for the Children of the Watch. And it would be interesting to see groups that, with the Children of the Watch being more willing to bend, you know, and also learning to work together with other factions of Mandalorians, it would be interesting to see groups that don't, groups that are are continuing to, or even individuals that are, are resistant to this. Because spoilers, but... Paz Vizsla even comes around right. to basically being fine with other groups of Mandalorians and fine with following Bo-Katan, even though she doesn't walk the way. So I would, it would be interesting maybe for future storytelling to see groups that are not, and also how a united front uh, led by Bo-Katan with the Armorer and Axe Woves and the Night Owls and the survivors of Mandalore teaming up how they're able to overcome this, how they're able to overcome the, the internal divisions of the Mandalorian that Bo-Katan talks about over and over and over again in this season ragnar gets grabbed by the not a dragon thing uh yeah do we okay so I, just for continuity's sake i called it a creature but like what should we I, i've been it, seeing it read oh, as fucking no. raptor so i'm like is that what we call it now moving forward because i don't know i don't i i got no idea man i got no answer for you i don't think we officially know what this thing is called uh, do we not know what any of them are called on this we don't know so what any far? of them are called on we don't even know what planet they're on Okay, well, I'm calling this Mandalorian planet number two, I guess, because that's that's where they are. It's, it's um, a Mandalorian planet that sure right. is Mandalorians. Mandalorian, right. Sure, guys. Like, sure. Okay. No, we don't know what the fuck this thing is called. I don't know, man. It's it's a fucking, like... <laughs> it's, a, it's a dragon. It's a fucking Viseron-looking motherfucker. Yeah, it's a raptor dragon. Is thing. Viseron the green one or is Regal the green one? I can't keep them. I can't keep them straight. I know Drogon's the black one. Um, What's funny is Ragnar sounds like one of them. Ragnar does sound like it should be like a Game of Thrones name. It does. It sounds like, it like it's already be. in there. Like, I feel like it is somehow. Like, I, unbeknownst to us, it's in there. Oh, you know what you might be thinking of? You might be thinking of Skyrim. They're, one no, of the bard songs in Skyrim. I never One of the of bard that. songs in Skyrim. I've just realized where this, this I think this comes from. Yeah, they're thinking of Rhaegar, not Ragnar. You are thinking of Rhaegar Targaryen. Yes. Uh, from Game of Thrones. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking of Ragnar the Red, the song from Skyrim. Gotcha. Uh, the, one of the Nord songs is is about Ragnar the Red. But yeah, you're thinking of Rhaegar Targaryen, who shows up in Andor to be just as bad. I fucking hate Rhaegar Targaryen. I cannot stand that man. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that. Yeah. We're, we're not launching our Game of Thrones podcast yet. I do want to talk about the jetpack thing for like a hot second. Okay. Talk about the jetpack thing for a hot second. Before we move on, I want to talk about the jetpack thing. So here's my thing about the jetpack. We're we're going to come back to jetpacks in the finale. And there's a character who uses a jetpack in the finale at one point And for a different absurd amount of time. And this is like, <laughs> I'm confused at how jetpacks work now. Because I'm like, how much fuel do they actually fucking have because the answer is that jetpacks work uh how the as plot, needs, the plot them to work. needs them for right exactly of course i figured but you know yeah um, they work how long the plot needs them to work but of course i also headcanon wise i i assume that they were training with their jetpacks so they were already low on fuel to begin that's what i'm assuming has happened okay that's um, that's as good an explanation as any <laughs> for this thing that makes no fucking sense 
Exactly. Are you ready to move on? I am ready to move on. Because this is the section. So I just want okay. to, I want you to be ready for the section. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm I'm ready. I am ready. My body is ready. My legs displayed. I have showered properly. <laughs> Let's do this section. Bo-Katan returns to the covert and shows them the location of the creature's lair. Din, Paz, and the team set off to rescue Ragnar, leaving Grogu behind with the armor. She takes Grogu to her forge to watch her work. Grogu has a flashback of being in the Jedi Temple during Order 66 on Coruscant. Grogu is saved by a mysterious Jedi who leads him to safety from clone troopers. They escape on an Abubian ship, and the flashback ends as they enter hyperspace. Did you say Nabubian? <laughs> I love saying that. Nabubian? It's Nabubian. It's 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 a Nubian yacht. I, think, I like saying Nabubian. I know, but I like I like saying Nabubian. We're so mature. <laughs> we're funnier. so mature. We're we're both Nubian adult. is lame. We're both adults. Um, <laughs> we both have adult jobs that we go to, and Bradley yeah. says Nabubian. I, that's what office. I say about everybody from there. Like they're all Nabubians. I hate you so much. <laughs> I do. I truly hate you uh, with every fiber of my being. Bo-Katan mentions climbing the peak of Kiramorit. Right, so Kiramora at first originated in Legends because obviously it did. I guess Pablo Hidalgo or somebody, whoever worked with, whichever story group member was assigned to the Mandalorian because we don't necessarily know it was Pablo Hidalgo. I should have looked for that in the credits when I was obsessively checking for something <laughs> earlier. Where Bradley had to sit here for 10 minutes while I went through every single credit for this episode uh, when I was codifying my notes. Uh, but whoever whoever was the story group consultant on this season, A+, plus because like everything is a reference to something. Like, good work. Kira Mora... This is the part where I have to acknowledge Karen Travis exists. Okay. Well, you I know really don't funny? want to. <laughs> I want to I wanna pause because we have mentioned that person's name more times than I can count already on this show. Do you want like, to know why? <laughs> why? You want to know why yes, I do actually coming up more than anything else. I will tell you. Because so Karen Travis prior to uh, the Clone Wars coming out, there was something called the Clone Wars Multimedia Project. And it was really one of the, the first major multi-work attempts to build a coherent transmedia storytelling in the Star Wars universe. They had done it before, but in very limited capacities. Like the best example probably being uh, Shadows of the Empire, which was basically a movie tie-in without a movie. They had a video game version, they had a novel version, a comic version, and a soundtrack, and even toys in, that came out, uh, That, but no movie. But that was basically the same story told multiple times in multiple mediums. The Clone Wars Multimedia Project was really the first major attempt to have something, a publishing initiative that spanned the books and the comics and the games and all of that interwove together with each other. And Karen Travis was the person who wrote the Republic Commando series. And in that Republic Commando series, she was the one who codified a lot of the pre-Clone Wars series Mandalorian lore. She came up with a lot of it. A lot of it first appears in these Republic Commando books, and then later on it comes up again in uh, the Legacy of the Force series, which is genuinely a very good series. Uh, it was sort of the sequel air, the sequel series before it was the sequel series. A lot of the same things it arrived at by accident. Uh, and she wrote three of the books from that. Uh, but she did also write Republic Commando, and in Republic Commando, she codified a lot of the Mandalorian stuff. George Lucas ignored all of it. He did not give a shit. And so she actually walked away. She was supposed to do a follow-up series called Imperial Commando. She only watched 
or she only wrote one book of that and then walked away from it because she was like, what is the point of this if if they're just going to ignore everything that I do? We have discussed in feelings about my feelings about in depth, but that is why her name keeps coming up so much is because she did a lot of the proto Mandalorian stuff and she built a lot of what the Mandalorian is the foundation that it's building on top of that it's rectifying. I wouldn't say rectifying it's, combining sort of her version of Mandalorian culture, which is immensely popular amongst a lot of fans, even fans that don't like her work still will like the Mandalorian themed stuff. And some of this is because there was also some good Mandalorian stuff in Legends. The Republic Commando game still remains one of the best games that Star Wars has ever put out ever, but also the Bounty Hunter game and its tie-ins with the, the establishing Death Watch and the history of that. All of that is proven immensely popular. There's a lot of Mandalorian cosplayers there's a lot of Man- Mandalorian cosplayers that have done their own histories for the Mandalorians that they're cosplaying. That they're not doing, like, characters from the stuff they've taken within the culture of the Mandalorians and Legend and made their own characters that they're now cosplaying. So it's deeply ingrained in and deeply tied into Star Wars fandom just generally as a whole. Karen Travis just sucks ass. And I hate her work. I, I will say, I, I don't know Karen Travis as a person. I have my suspicions about Karen Travis as a person based on her work that I wouldn't get along with her. Uh, but I do not like her work very much at all. But unfortunately, it did a lot with the pre-Clone Wars Mandalorian lore. Uh, and that is what's being built off of. That is why she keeps coming up. Also, we found out recording last episode that she wrote the Clone Wars novelization. And I gotta read that. <laughs> I've never read it. I gotta read it now uh, because yeah. I don't like that movie. And I also hate her work. And I'm really interested to see how she treats that movie in her adaptation. But Kira Moret uh, originated in her Republic Commando series. It was a haven for clone deserters. All of that to say, that's where that comes from. That's what that's a reference to. Wow. You, so you spent, I'm looking at my fake imaginary watch, uh, about 10 minutes talking I about... I spent probably about <laughs> six or seven solid minutes explaining why Karen Travis is being mentioned all of the fucking time. Well, I also have to stop. So I'm in the Divas Discord, the the Divas Podcast Discord, and uh, it's sort of become a running joke in that Discord that every time... Every single time someone mentions Karen Travis, I will show up to be like, oh, I fucking hate those books. You're like Beetlejuice. Every time someone says her name, you appear. <laughs> every, time, every time someone says her there are certain topics, right, that you can just get me to show up in a chat yeah. by mentioning, like, I have a sixth sense something is being talked about. Yep, yep. Uh, one of those topics is the flamethrower. Uh-huh. You can convince, you can, you can summon me by mentioning the flamethrower. You can summon me by mentioning anything Karen Travis did. Uh, And you can also summon me by mentioning the Force Unleashed in any capacity. I would generally show up, be like, ugh, that fucking game. Anyway. Yeah, so Grogu gets his own, like, armor flashback, because as the armorer says, the forge can reveal weaknesses, Mm. um, which is why we're constantly getting flashbacks every time armor is getting made, because symbolically it's supposed to be the forge revealing weaknesses that people need to overcome, Ah, which I do think is a nice touch. I also like the Grogu puppet, the one that's, that's looking at the armor. He's so fucking expressive now. Like, he goes on this traumatic, like, journey, memory journey, and it's all conveyed through the puppet? Yeah. Like, 
Like, at this point, I don't believe that's a puppet. At this point, I believe that's an actual Grogu. Well, no, it's kind of like with Sesame Street and, like, Elmo. Like, at this point, Elmo is, like, a real person. Like, he just has, he's, like, an actual person. Like, there's no, there's no puppeteering. There's nothing, like, happening there. It's an actual person. And so, like, he'll go on, like, late night shows and he'll give interviews and stuff. And you're like, that's fucking Elmo on late night with Jimmy Fallon. Like, that's just, he's there. So I feel the same thing with Grogu. I feel like Grogu's just, we're waiting for Grogu to actually speak at some point, And then he'll end up going on, like, late night talk shows and, like, sitting there and giving interviews. There's a, there's a quote from, like, Kermit the Frog where somebody asked him about the difference between him and like what's the difference between you and Elmo or something he's like well the difference is that he's a puppet and I'm an actual talking frog right and like I fully believe that with my whole heart I it's true it's it's not hard to trick your brain into thinking he's an actual creature no he's he's so fucking expressive like shout out to all the puppeteers that rules that's just really good and it's really interesting too like because you could see how they would have easily done this with visual effects but they've been forced to make this puppet so good yeah i really think we're entering kind of an age of new puppeteering that's gonna make some really interesting like visual creatures yeah and i think the every year it gets better i will say there were there was one instance this season we haven't gotten to it yet and i will bring it up when it comes up that it was a little bit of a step back um however i think for the most part like i feel like it's just like every other technology thing where it gets better and better every year and it gets smaller and smaller <laughs> yep well it's one of the cool like some of the technology advancement that they're doing i'm like fucking why are you doing this like respeacher yeah. i think is dumb I think yeah, it's weird. It's ridiculous. They... Uh, some of the visual effects that they're pushing, like the trying to deep fake Luke Skywalker, just fucking stop. Better puppeteering work. Oh no, keep this going. Keep this right. going. It's like the scene of Idris Elba from Pacific Rim where he's like, you stop talking, you keep going. That's me to deep fake Luke Skywalker and uh, better puppet work. Right. It's, it's so good. Anyway, then we get more Order 66. And who doesn't love a good Order 66 flashback? Well, here's the unfortunate thing, Bradley. I must confess, Order 66 at the Jedi Temple has somewhat been ruined for me. Oh, interesting. Because the opening scene of Obi-Wan Kenobi is so fucking good. Like, that two minutes where the Master's trying to get the Padawans out is so good and so traumatic that literally any other version of the Jedi Temple... Being attacked during Order 66 doesn't do it for me. You're right. I'm like, it's, you've I think now that's, done that's the definitive version. Scene. Yeah, it's a premium scene. And I actually, I kind of want to see someone edit together this scene and the Kenobi scene. I want to see it all in one. They've done edits of the exact moment. Like, you can watch edits with the Clone Wars Season 7, Jedi Fallen Order, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Uh, all edited to like at the same time where you can right. see the specific moments. But I would be, yeah, I would be interested to get a breakdown of what all was happening at the Jedi Temple at this exact time because there's just a lot we don't know. Because it's a huge temple and it's filled with thousands of Jedi at this point or or hundreds of Jedi at this point. Right. Yeah. Because you've like, got like Anakin on one level doing stuff. You got Grogu escaping on another one. You got Reva doing her own thing on another one. I was like, all right, there's so much going on here. There's so much happening at this temple. Right. Yeah. And I think there's some of it we don't know. Like we don't know how Jocasta New escaped. We don't know how some of the others escaped. We don't know really what happened to some of the people that were inside the temple. I think Which we're going to be ripped seeing... to my theory of Jocasta News saving Grogu because that's what that was one of my theories that I came up with a while. R.I.P. to that like... theory. Oh, that would have been so good. <laughs> that would have been perfect. 
That would have been so good. Yeah. Uh, However, that is not who we get. Uh, They mention several times uh, before he actually shows up who they are trying to get Grogu to, and they eventually get Grogu down to uh, a gentleman by the name of Kellerin Beck. Now, we have seen Kellerin Beck before. Back in 2020, Lucasfilm put out a basically Legends of the Hidden Temple ripoff called Jedi Temple Challenge. Irksome to me uh, that they won't bring it back and do adult teams, uh, because I do think Bradley and I would 100% audition to be on the show. Oh my god, can you imagine? And then we could promote, we would just have gold. We would fucking murder each other, though. We would murder (laughs) each other trying to do this challenge. However, the show was, you know, for kids. And it was kids going through these sort of Jedi trial things. It was hosted by Jedi Master Kellerin Beck. Fast forward to now, Kellerin Beck shows up in The Mandalorian. Now, Kellerin Beck is also related to another character in the Star Wars universe uh, named Ahmad Beck, or Ahmed Beck, uh, who is a character who shows up in the background, played by the same actor in Attack of the Clones. Okay. Which is a fun little fact about him. Uh, And he is also nicknamed uh, the Sabered Hand. Ooh. Which is some fun details about Jedi Master Keller and Beck. So he's a bit of a deep cut. Uh, if you you didn't watch Jedi Temple uh, Jedi Temple Challenge, you may not know who this guy is. However, you definitely know the actor that's playing him. <laughs> well, some of us may not remember this actor because I don't think he looked the same when the last time we saw him. No? The last time we saw him in a Star Wars, well, well it was Jedi Temple Challenge, but well, the time yes, but... we saw him before that, right. No, he looked a little bit different the last time we saw him. <laughs> what did he look like, Charles? Jedi Master Kellerin Beck is played by an actor named Ahmad Best. Ahmad Best fucking kicks ass. He has been in several Star Wars films we'll get back to in a minute, but he's also a very good voice actor. He's in The Last of Us Part Two, Fallout 76 as a voice actor. He's in Law & Order L.A., He's an alias, so he's shown up in a few things. That's not where you know him from. You know Ahmad Best as showing up in all three prequel films, playing Jar Jar Binks. He has also voiced Jar Jar Binks in multiple Star Wars properties, including multiple video games. Uh, He voices him somewhat in The Clone Wars. Some of the, he voices him in the early seasons, but he was going through sort of a really dark time uh, where he was having sort of a complicated relationship with the character. And uh, Phil Lamar actually takes over voicing him under a pseudonym out of respect to Ahmad Best. Uh, So there's some episodes where Ahmad Best is voicing Jar Jar. There's some episodes where Phil Lamar is voicing Jar Jar. But he also voices Boss Leone in The Clone Wars. And then particularly interesting to me, he does appear as Jar Jar Binks in Robot Chicken, one of their Robot Chicken Star Wars. Interesting. Okay. Uh, he voices him in the third one. Uh, so yeah, you definitely know who this guy is if you're a Star Wars fan. Fucking kick ass that they got him to be in this. I yeah. So I'll I'll admit that you know I am a prequels kid, so I did not know what Ahmed Best actually looked like because I never went out of my way to figure out what he looked like you know uh, i just know him as jar jar binks like that's just how i know him and i was like when i found out it was ahmed i was like oh that's fucking cool first of all and also how awesome to have such a prominent role in what is now the jesus christ of star wars uh grogu uh and have him being saved by this character <laughs> yeah i think 
I think it's awesome. I think, you know, he also just seems like he's one of like, just the coolest dudes. Right. Like everybody who talks about him, talks about him as like, he's just the coolest guy playing Jar Jar. I think there's a reason he transitioned over to, to mainly doing a lot of voice work in bit roles is because he got a lot of backlash for it. And then recently the, the love that he's been shown, like he got like a standing ovation at Celebration. Uh, I can't remember if it was Anaheim or, or another time, but he he walked down on the stage and he got like a standing ovation. Like he's just gotten so much love, you know, the last couple of years. And so him getting to be here and see this, there's actually a quote from him on on Wikipedia talking about how, you know, he just loves Star Wars so much and he didn't want to come back and like, he basically was worried he didn't want to come back and like ruin it. And, but he really wanted to, and he was kind of talked into it. And I'm so glad that he did yeah. because he really deserves this moment for all the shit he's put up with. You know, he, nobody else I think deserves more to get just a moment to show up and kick ass especially after like him getting to come back and work with kids. And if you watch Jedi Temple Challenge, he's clearly, he's so great with the kids. He's so great in the role. He's having just a great time. So this is probably the coolest fucking thing the Mandalorian will do all season is bringing back Ahmed Best to be in this episode. 100%. And actually, you know what, this leads into my kind of theory of like, I wish, or not, not theory, but like my complaint of the episode, which is I wish they would have intercut more flashbacks, especially because you could have had Ahmed lead all these scenes and been like that third few with like Grogu and been like, oh, here's how we get Grogu to the season one of Mandalorian, like right. give that flashback to it. I also think it would be a really good idea for them if they ended up wanting to do, they introduced this in Kenobi, you know, is the path. It would be very interesting to see like maybe Ahmed Best's character of Keller and Beck fucking is the one who yeah. started the Do the Path Show. Yeah. Do the fucking Path Show, Lucas. I think it I think it would be really good. You've set up fucking uh all the characters from Obi-Wan Kenobi. You've set up now Keller and Beck got away with another Jedi. Like Quinlan Voss is there. You redeemed Reva. Make this show. Make this show. It would be like, so easy. Just, just it would be so it. easy just to make it. this show. Just <laughs> like, do it. You could even do flashbacks. You could bring Tala back for flashbacks. So yeah, the there's path. so many things you could do. You could do so much with this. Yeah, it's just, it's fucking awesome for him to be here. And I, I want more. I want more of this character in Star Wars. Uh, and mm -hmm. like, too, like, I'm just looking at the, the Wikipedia page and it's talking about how, how much work Best put into developing the, he, he has a unique fighting style in the episode that he developed. Uh, he has, according to Best, like Keller and Beck has a really unique understanding of what the Force is. And like, I want more of that. More, please. Right. More of this character. Speaking of characters who are in the scene played by interesting people, the clone troopers show up. Right. Not voiced by D. Bradley Baker. What? So a couple of weeks ago, this is interesting because a couple of weeks ago, a story circulated that Tamara Morrison was talking about how he never got a call to be Boba Fett in Mandalorian season three. And that was sort right. of disappointing, which I'm also disappointed. I wanted Boba Fett to at show up in the season uh and i do i do think it was uncool that they took chapters away from the book of boba fett and gave them to the mandalorian although i do sort of agree with wyatt's perspective i think wyatt's probably right in his theory that they had to reshuffle things around because they canceled rangers but they still needed some of this stuff in there however tomorrow morrison is in this season right briefly he is the voice of the clone troopers in this scene. Now, I trawled through the credits before we started this episode. I made Bradley wait for about 10 minutes while I sat there and <laughs> manually read every credit. I didn't see Reese Beecher anywhere in there. 
I don't think this is the AI generated voice. They genuinely had Tamara Morrison come in and record a couple of lines. So that actually is Tamara Morrison voicing the clone troopers. They only like have it. like three lines. That's something. Yeah, I like it. That's something. Tamara Morrison is in this season. Uh, my next note is just this rules. I fucking love everything about this. <laughs> He, like, takes the speeder and, like, at one point when he emerges from the thing, he, like, blasts out into the the peak of, of Umat, Umate or whatever that mountain is called. Right. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that we had, in last week, we just talked about how and they just showed us even in, in, the, um, in that episode. They were like, oh, here's the plaza. And then, like, now flashback, here's that plaza, you know, back then. And then it's, like, it's where he's going through. I thought that was funny. It's... Here's the plaza now. Does he um does he like hit it? He hits the peak, right? Like he like I think he hits the ground near it. Oh, okay. I think he hits I thought the he, like, ground and bounces somehow... off of it and flies up and around. It. I for I need to watch it again because I thought for a second I saw him like like kind of bump it a little bit. But you're right. I think he just hits the ground near it. Uh, he flies over and he meets some guys from Naboo because, of course, they're from Naboo. Uh, this is a mod best that is a reference to the Phantom Menace. So naturally, his friends are from Naboo, and that is the Naboo yacht from Episode 1. So right. that's just a nice touch. So do we need to talk about this ship and why it's, like, other than the fact that it's a reference? Like, I need to know in-universe whose ship this is. I also need to know, if if is this the same ship? That's a good question, actually. You know what I mean? Like, if this is the exact same ship, because Padme, at this point, I, I don't know. She's, I don't know if she's left yet. She's using a different ship. Right. Because she's and... gone, or she's going to Mustafar or whatever, right? And then this ship would theoretically be Jar Jar's ship, because he's there. Or he's not there. Oh, that's an excellent point, that this might actually be Jar Jar's if he's a representative. Right. If he's the current representative, this would be the representative ship, therefore... Jar Jar is either on the ship right now. He's not. He's clearly or not. He's, or this okay. may be his ship. Oh my god! Ship what if yeah. Jar Jar sent these guys to go meet Keller that, and Beck? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That Jar Jar was like, "Hey, go meet any Jedi you can and get them right. off the planet." Oh my! Can you imagine if they had extended these flashback scenes and we saw a scene of Jar Jar saying that? Oh my god! I would have flipped my fucking shit. That would have been. I desperately, I desperately need that to be the answer. I need them to do. I don't care if they have to do it in a fucking like three-page comic book or something, but like I need them to make this canonical. Like, Uh, I don't think it is the same one that they use in Phantom Menace because that is specifically that is specifically a royal a royal starship. Well, because in the beginning of Rent of the Sith, Padme's ship gets blown up, right? Or is that in Attack That's in Attack of the Clones. Oh, okay, so her uh, ship it also looks like It also looks like the Royal Starship, the specific Royal Starship, mm-hmm. uh, does show up in the Darth Vader comics, the original Darth Vader comic run. So uh, it's, this is obviously not the same shit. I ascribe fully 100% to the theory that this is Jar Jar's representative ship and that he Perfect. sent these guys to go help get Jedi out. I love that idea. I fully agree with that. The Naboo soldier that talks to them is played by a gentleman named Juan Javier Cardenas. Juan Javier Cardenas is a TV that guy who has appeared in such shows as The Walking Dead, Snowfall, and 911 Lone Star. Mm -hmm. Uh, But shout out to him anyway. This was the point in which I noticed that I'm pretty sure they are using the old Grogu puppet for the uh, flashback scenes. Interesting. Because he looks a lot smoother and he looks a lot less expressive in this flashback scenes. So I think they're using the old puppet from season one. Is that to show passage of time? 
I think it's to show passage of time. Like to be like, look, he's quote unquote younger. Yes, I think that's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. Which is a nice little detail, if true. I, I, it, it's a nice little like unnoticeable detail, but it um, right. it puts the audience back in the mindset of being like, oh, we are back in X amount of time. We are back. Right. This is a flashback. This Grogu does not look the same. The Grogu in Mandalorian looks a little bit older now in this season. Well, yeah, because the flashback's taking place, what, 20-ish 30 years? 30-ish years ago. Oh, 30-ish yeah, years. 30-ish yeah. years so, ago. So, yeah, he's a he's a youngin'. He's, a, he's, he's a, fresh he's out young. of the He's only 20 years out of the womb. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's like 60 or something, 50. He's the same age as Darth Vader and Ray Sloan. That's all right. I know. Yeah, so he's he's in his 50s in the current season, late 50s, I guess, at this point, because according to John Favreau, he's older now. We're, we're, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Christ, we have spent something like 25 minutes talking about this one scene. I know. And we skipped over most of it. Oh, my God. Uh, the moral of the story is uh, delighted to see Ahmad Best here. Uh, genuinely cool dude. And let him be in Star Wars as much as he wants. Absolutely. Just keep writing him paychecks because the man deserves to just be paid. He deserves to Anthony Daniels style it up. Just get paid by Star Wars for the rest of his life. After his flashback, the armorer forges a new armor piece for Grogu. That's way too big, but she says he'll grow into it. Meanwhile, Mando's team reaches the location of the Beast's Nest and sets up camp for the night. They all then decide to eat separately from each other. I only have one note for this entire sequence. Okay. And that uh, Din is a lying asshole. <laughs> okay. Because in season one, episode four, Din has brought a tray of food while watching children play with Grogu. And then he takes his helmet off in full view of the children. Any one of them could turn around and see his face and eats the food. And I'm not going to let this shot go. Yeah, because the lady is in the room with him, correct? She, she has left the room. Oh, she left. But he okay. is standing there watching the kids, and it's not like it's from a distance. Right. Like, the kids are right there. Anyone could turn around and see him. So when Din's like, oh, we go off uh, privately, you lying motherfucker. Also, isn't there a scene in season one where he's by the campfire or something, and then, like he lifts up his helmet to take like a season drink two. of soup or something? Yeah, season two, uh, when he's with um, Grogu, he like there's a scene where he like lifts his helmet up. Yeah, and I'm like, take a drink. Is that not quote unquote risky? Is that not like, removing yeah. your helmet? Yeah, does you're, that you're not basically. Count? I can see your mouth. So does that count? Mm, what's what's going on here, Den? No, you totally. lying asshole. That's literally my only note for this section. My only note was, why the fuck did the armorer make this big-ass fucking honking piece of armor for Grogu? The poor little kid can barely walk around with that metal shirt that he wears all the time now, and now she added a giant-ass heavy piece of metal to his chest. I thought, so, do you remember Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? Yeah, I mean, I remember it's a movie, yeah. Okay, okay. This just made me think of it because I just 100%ed uh, Lego Lord of the Rings finally after 11 years of trying. Don't ask. We don't have time to get into that story. But it was making me think of the the uh, Mithril shirt and how uh, there's a scene in Fellowship of the Ring where Grogu, fucking Grogu, I just said Grogu, <laughs> where Frodo gets stabbed. Yeah, Grogu's uh -huh. not in. I was like, I don't think I've seen that multiverse movie, but continue. There's a popular uh, TikTok going around that combines the two, but uh, no, Frodo gets stabbed with by a cave troll. Okay. And there's a moment where everyone thinks he is dead, uh, but he's actually wearing an indestructible shirt underneath right. it that 
that stops the blade uh, from killing him. I genuinely thought when he put when he had the mithril shirt and now he has the pauldron, I genuinely thought like Moff Gideon was going to shoot him uh, or was going to stab him or something. Yeah, like with uh, the dark that, saber or something. Like yeah, like right, just yeah. stab him with something. Yeah, and then it wasn't going to happen. But they they didn't. They're cowards and they didn't commit to that. I was going to say yeah. Why even introduce this little thing if it was not going to come up later at all? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because it's they want to have this scene where he undergoes the flashback and then they introduce a lot of things in this episode that never fucking come up again never come to fruition yeah anyway never fucking come up again all right moving on the next morning the team scales the cliff and reaches an empty nest paz reveals that ragnar is his son and he accidentally wakes up three raptor chicks. the adult raptor arrives regurgitating ragnar to feed the chicks the adult raptor picks Vizla up in his mouth and ragnar in his claws and flies off Bo pursues them, and with Din's help, they fire cables into the raptor's body. Bo stabs the raptor in the eye, causing it to drop Vizsla, who lands on a cliff. Din rescues Ragnar from the raptor's claws, and the creature plunges into the lake. A dinosaur turtle rises from beneath the water and eats the raptor. Of fucking course. Of fucking course, Paz Vizsla named his son Ragnar. Right. <laughs> that is the most Paz Vizsla thing I have ever seen. <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I, I I like how that's all like interesting, but like my, the one thing I was wondering the whole time was like, is this his real son or is this a foundling son? That's a good, it seems like it's his real son. I, I think it's his biological child. And now which that ans- which to now like, asks who's the, the mother? <laughs> oh, there's a better question we can ask, not just who's the mother. Where the fuck has this kid been? The whole time. This kid is like 14. Right. Where has he been? Because he wasn't there in the first season. So he wasn't there in the first season. Well, that we saw. He wasn't so there in the does, second season. Definitely right. wasn't there in Book of Boba Fett. So that Where leaves has the he question, been? Right. Does that leave the question, did he find the child in an intervening time at some point and rescued him or foundling him? That would be super interesting if the show fucking stopped to explain any of this or explore any of its interesting concepts in depth. It does not. So fuck you. That's the answer. You know, I don't get me wrong. I love the flashback scene. However, if you took out the flashback scene and replaced it with a Vizsla backstory scenes to like show the relationship there maybe where where he even finds ragnar or has ragnar the history of him like that would be interesting too to be like oh who's the mother and like you know where did she go and like all that kind of stuff so again we need we need tie-in material that's that's the problem (laughs) there's not enough time yeah they need somebody to be like write a a you know limited series comic or something to explain some of this stuff or write a novel about Bo-Katan prior to season two like give us something give us some context yeah you know it's fine that you didn't put it in the show but like you're also introducing a lot of really interesting concepts but then you never follow up on them this kid has been inside this bird for like a day that part how is this kid not dead (laughs) how is this kid alive how is he alive? Like, he's only got a helmet. So, yeah, sure, his I, head's not digested, I guess. But this is the whole, how does getting digested work in Star Wars? Because this is bringing back that I, argument. I guess it's, you could kind of make the argument that it's a, a reference to the biblical story of Jonah. Uh, and spoiler alert, this will not be the first time there's sort of a biblical reference going on yeah. in this but you you could argue it's a reference to that. But in my brain is like, I'm like, how the fuck is this kid not dead? Yeah, how is he not dead? 
And also, if it is a reference, what lesson is he learning in this this dragon? He's in his learned stomach? nothing. He's learned <laughs> not to go wandering off in what he thought was a safe zone. He barely even walked away. That's what frustrates me about this whole thing. He just goes to like the water to like blow off steam because he's like, "Fuck, I just lost to a three year old," and he's like, "The dragon comes out of nowhere and takes him away," and it's just like that poor kid. And also, like this has happened before. Yeah. Like they have mentioned this has happened to other kids. This is just the thing. You think they would have been like, don't ever wander right. far away from the adult. Or if you see this thing coming, fucking tuck and run. Right. Or duck down or dive into the water or do something. Right. You would think they would know, but apparently they do not. Crazy. Apparently they don't. Anyway, somebody, uh, I think it's, I think it's Paz that's in the mouth, uh, tries to blast it with the flamethrower. It does nothing and is useless and does not slow it down. Of course, it does nothing at all. It is totally pointless. Why did you do that? <laughs> because this season, listen to me, Bradley, this season is a fucking victory lap for me. It is a fucking victory lap. I am doing laps around. I'm doing that whole fucking scene from Family Guy where Peter joins the football team and the guy tells him not to showboat. He scores one touchdown and does an entire four minute musical number. That's me right now with this season. I don't think there's a single time this entire season that the flamethrower does anything fucking useful at all. I feel that. It, it, this you, is you just definitely... me being smug because <laughs> because for two and a half goddamn seasons, I have been sitting here insisting that the flamethrower is only useful in very specific cases. And you can't just use it every time because it solves nothing at all. It is only useful for setting flammable things on fire and whacking Jedi in the face with it. That is it. That yeah, is what it is useful for. And this whole season has been the flamethrower being fucking useless, doing anything. There's only one time that somebody really uses fire to great effect, and that was not a flamethrower. But we'll get there when we get there. The flamethrower is useless in this scene and does nothing. Uh, my next note is, hello, Jurassic World. This was almost shot for shot. <laughs> Which is surprising because this episode was not directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I thought the same thing because we remember when we first were talking, we were breaking down one of her episodes and we were like, oh, look, that's a reminiscent of that scene in Jurassic Park. That's reminiscent of that scene in Jurassic it's World. And then the, we were like, it's the, the first episode we did of hers, uh, the yeah. episode four, where we were talking about how it's very reminiscent of Jurassic Park. Right. And then in this one, she's not even close to this episode in any way, shape or form. And it's like, like, oh okay great Jurassic <laughs> World reference steal one of the scenes yeah it's also a there's always a bigger fish I wish somebody would have said that uh that would have been a, a bridge too far in my opinion but they should have said there's always a bigger dinosaur turtle <laughs> there is always a bigger dinosaur turtle Bradley <laughs> see now I'm thinking about the Phantom Menace and now I'm just wanting to play Lego Star Wars again but I can't because I have to finish Jedi Survivor before somebody inadvertently spoils spoils all things somebody did spoil the opening mission for me somebody did just straight up tell me something about the opening mission unprompted however it was a non-star wars loving person who had picked up the game and i was just so happy that they had actually picked it up and were enjoying it that i didn't even say anything so we've now learned this is the one case in which i am fine if someone spoils a thing for me if somebody who has never seen a star wars or doesn't really like it is finding some joy in something and inadvertently messages me and it's like hey it's so fucking cool that uh you know, this person showed up. Uh, I recognize that. That's awesome. I'm not going to get mad about that. I'm just, I'm happy somebody's having a good time with Star Wars. And they didn't spoil everyone. They just spoiled me. And I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. I am quickly approaching the point where I am 
I am running out of spoilers that I know, so I'm very excited to get back to Jedi Survivor after this. And finally, after returning to the covert, the armorer praises Bo for saving a foundling, the highest honor of the creed. Bo brings back three raptor chicks as foundlings. The armorer notices that Kreese is missing a pauldron and takes her to the forge so she can replace it. While the armorer works, Bo asks the armorer about seeing a mythosaur, which she brushes off as a noble vision. So I I do find it interesting that they they put so much value on the foundlings. Right. And, and it's it's not even that I guess now we learned that a foundling can literally be a fucking animal that you find on the side of the road. Like, well, that that and we'll get to that in a minute. But also, I find it really interesting, too, that when we're looking at the, the way that the Children of the Watch kept the Mandalorian culture alive right. throughout this period of diaspora, because we've talked about one of that being the complicated aspects of the Children of the Watch is they do some things that are reminiscent of cult like behavior, mm-hmm. but they also are very much keeping some of the traditions of the Mandalorians alive in a way that is more reminiscent of what it would have been if they had not been driven off Mandalore. Part of that is putting so much value in children. And I think this is part of how the Children of the Watch managed to survive because they take care of vulnerable members of their group. And that helps them not just become a group of adult warriors and the only people who matter are people who can fight. They put a lot of emphasis on the future. They're, they send this whole Mandalorian raiding party to go get one kid back. And yeah, it's Paz Vizsla's kid, but the implication is they would do this for any kid. Anyone, yeah. And I find this really interesting that they put so much value in the future, that they put so much value in protecting children that are among them. And I do think that's part of how they managed to survive. Speaking of foundlings, there are the raptor babies, and now we will never see them again. Another thing that never comes to fruition. Never comes up season. again. I don't never understand comes it. Up again. Because I thought, like, okay, I watched this, and I was like, okay, they have three baby chicks now. So what's going to happen is in the finale, they're going to be grown-up chicks. And then they're, they're gonna going to use them. them. Yeah, Somebody's going to ride them, them into yeah. the battle. Doesn't and happen. Doesn't happen. I, I, want, I want to know. I, I really do want to know, because we didn't see it in, like, concept or anything i want to know if like that was something that was planned and was just cut for time um i'm i'm curious whether or not they're seeding it for later there's a scene in episode like six or seven i think it's episode seven where they look they have what looks like a creature on a spate steak being like cooked uh i don't or spit being cooked I don't think that's meant to be these creatures. I think these creatures are going to come back later. I think those are the things that attacked them in season one because they're on the lava flats at that point. Right. But yeah, this this gets mentioned and then never comes up in this season. Never brought up again. Never brought up again, which I'm like, <laughs> so, fucking okay, fine. So I'm like, um, does that mean that Ragnar is going to be like flying on a dragon like in next season? Like when we I'd see watch next... it. I'd I fucking think, watch it. I think that could theoretically like something that made him, you know, like how they get like a little, uh, they are on their own symbol. They have to earn a symbol or whatever. So I feel like they Ragnar's have to earn a signet. His is going to yeah, be his a, signet a, a is raptor be dragon a thing. Raptor dragon. Yep. I do That's love that. Thing. So Bo-Katan requests the the mythosaur pauldron which is interesting because that sort of symbolizes her moving away from only representing her own group and representing all mandalorians which i think is a nice touch uh that she's more coming into her own as 
the leader of all of the Mandalorians, as opposed to only leading people who think exactly like she does. Exactly. Which is a nice bit of subtle storytelling. God, when the show does the sto subtle storytelling, it does it so well. And then sometimes it just doesn't. And I'm like, what is... What yeah, is sometimes the show gets drunk and they just don't feel like doing it anymore. <laughs> they're hungover and they're like, we yeah, don't feel like, like doing this right now. And then sometimes you have a scene like this where it's like, okay, this is a subtle nod to her character growth. Yeah. Uh, find it interesting she doesn't get a trauma flashback. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe like that was going to be the central theme of the episode. It was like, oh, everybody, you get a flashback, you get a flashback, you get a flashback. No, right? doesn't get nope, a trauma nothing. flashback. Every other time we've seen armor get forged for someone, they get a trauma flashback and she doesn't. Can you imagine if she got one and Satine showed up? I would scream, cry, throw myself through the wall. That would have elevated the fuck That out would have episode. elevated this season so much. <laughs> this would have been where you put the Satine flashback. No. 100%. This would have been where you do it. Yep. This 100% would have been. I said previously, like, oh, I'm not sure it would have worked. I think it would have complicated things. Yada, yada, yada. No, this is no, it. Yeah. Not here. Do it here. Because it would it would do end it the episode here. and then it would be like, okay, whoa, she's having this revelation. And then that sets in motion the next episode. So do the flashback yeah. of her finding out that Satine is dead. Yeah, there you go. Like, do that moment. Let Katie Sackhoff act her ass off, de-age her a little bit, and then do yep. it that way. That's <sighs> how you get Satine in this. Beautiful. Chef's kiss. Uh, but they're cowards, so. But they're cowards, so they don't do it. <laughs> so my initial note about the armor being like, when you walk the way of the Mandalore, you're going to see, like, things basically dismissing that she saw the Mythosaur. Right. My initial note was, oh boy, we love some casual cult gaslighting. Then I stopped to think about it, and I was like, wait, the armor never actually tells Bo you didn't see a Mythosaur. Right. She just says, when you're walking the right path, you're going to see a lot of weird shit. Yeah. She kind of reaffirms that Bo-Katan is like doing the right thing, kind of. Right. Yeah. Because she's like, you're going to start like if you do things the right way, you might have noble visions. You might have these things that will set you on the path. And it's like, but Bo, I think Bo at one point, though, she does kind of she kind of wants to clarify. She's like, no, no, no. I, I literally saw one. And then I don't think the armor gets it quite right away. She's just kind of like, oh, wow. You, I don't think the like, armor ever the believes. <laughs> yeah. What's important is that the armor never explicitly says, no, you didn't. Right. Because for all the armor knows, she might have seen a vision of the mythosaur. I don't think the armor believes at this point point that, that she actually it, yeah. saw a mythosaur but she's not saying you didn't see it she's saying well you will see interesting things on this path the mandal the armor is a very cryptic character i know and i wish we would just get a little bit more of her like i want a whole episode of just the armor like i want at a some flashback point, I want season everything. four or season five or whatever the final season was they yeah. they desperately need to get inside the armor's head yeah they for sure badly want to know who this this person is because she does not go in the direction i thought she was going right under the helmet <laughs> <laughs> like i want to know under what is going on under that helmet all right bradley give us a a directed by and written by uh this episode was directed by carl weathers written by john favreau and dave filoni really interesting that dave filoni co-wrote this episode but of course he fucking did it's the one that the order 66 is in i you know what i literally thought the same thing i thought you know what john did everything except for the flashback and then it's that a noah clore situation yeah. again yep. where i do it's think john thing. wrote most of the episode and then he handed off he's like dave you were at the order 66 scene uh-huh I also want to note that this is also the first episode that Carl Weathers has directed that he has not appeared in. Interesting. Because every other one he directed, he was in. Because why would?
wouldn't he be? <laughs> and this is it, this is strange that he's not his character is not in this episode. So I just the thought it was funny. next episode I would have thought would have been the one that Carl Weathers directed. A hundred percent. This does seem like a weird one for him to direct, right? It's it's a curious choice for him to direct, but also like it makes a lot of sense because most of the episode is campy action. Well, yes, that I that I get. I understand, but I I also don't understand if that makes sense. <laughs> I get both. I see both sides. Oh my gosh. Okay. Do you do you have any do you have any final thoughts on the episode, Bradley? Yeah. So my final thoughts are: I think this was a great episode. It was just like a nice. Uh, it was fun. It was just a fun episode. I think because it was very, like I said, it was very action heavy. So it was like a nice. You know, there's a simple quest, a simple, you know, outcome. And it was nice. I think it was a nice little bit of television. I do love the flashback. I think more of that, please. More, more of that. Um, And yeah, my only knock on the episode is they do throw in a few things that just have no payoff whatsoever this season. And it was weird for them to introduce it. But other than that, I mean, it was a pretty solid B episode, I think. I like it a lot. Obviously, I love the the Keller and Beck scene. Uh, it's fucking fantastic. Um, the the edits of that scene set alongside uh, I Need a Hero are just absolute perfection. Uh, <laughs> the rest of the that. episode, yeah. I liked. Oh, you got to you got to look. Yeah, it I'm going to look that up. Fucking amazing. The rest of the episode was fine. I, I like the continued development of Bo-Katan's character. I like the continued development of the relationship between Den and Grogu and where it's eventually going to go for the season. It's it's fine. Like it's a solid action beat. There's a lot of things I didn't take notes because I was just like, this is a solid action beat. Uh, but that's what Carl Weathers does. We described his last episode as basically like a theme park ride. And this one is very much the same thing. Same um, thing. You, know, you could really literally just turn this into ride. a save Ragnar from the dragon ride. Like it's like, right. I definitely see that. Yeah, Which is good. It works for this show. So alrighty, various pluggables. Uh, you can also find me on For Light and Dice, a Star Wars High Republic TTRPG podcast. I was not in the last recording session, but I was told some things in our private planning discord uh, that have me screaming. Bradley, you may have to start listening to this show. Oh, God. Something very interesting has happened in this show, uh, and I'm curious to see how it pans out. Also, please stream Queen's Court, uh, now available on Peacock. Bradley was the travel coordinator for that, and I will be plugging the shitty reality show until he gives me something else to plug. Additionally, we don't say this in the socials, uh, but I need to say it. I need to remember to say it more. If you like Gold Squadron Gays and the work that we do, uh, please rate and review the show. Give us a a five-star review and we might read it out loud on the air. I have been noticed we have been getting more ratings. Uh, We have been getting more five-star ratings, which is fucking awesome. You guys are fantastic. It really helps people find the show in other ways that are not just looking at the recommended podcast uh, after listening to episodes of other better shows. Right, of course. (laughs) Uh, so if you if you have a chance, you don't even need to listen to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I don't think, to review it. So give us a five-star rating and a review, and we might read it on the air. Uh, other than that, Bradley, let's go ahead and run the socials so that I can go back to staring at Cal Kestis's lovely, lovely, scruffy face. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze.
Welcome to the show, Gold Squadron, House of the Dragon Gaze, where the show where we talk about House of the Dragon, not Star Wars at all, dragon, dragon, dragons. There's dragons in this episode. Uh, I'm your host, Bradley Brower. 